This Knowledge at Wharton podcast was produced in conjunction with EY's Global Private Equity Center. For more information, please visit ey.com slash private equity. The recent successful showing for many initial public offerings is largely buoyed by strong equity markets. But the results also reflect smaller tranches, along with longer-term operational improvements by private equity issuers, which have been spending far more resources on management improvements than in the past. In part one of this two-part Knowledge at Wharton podcast, Stephen M. Samet, a senior fellow and lecturer at Wharton, and Michael Rogers, EY's global deputy private equity leader discussed these ideas. They also look at PE growth in Africa, a trend by limited partners to place more money in larger PE funds, rising demands for fee breaks, and the lift in fundraising coming from pension funds. Thank you both for being with us today at Knowledge at Wharton, and I'd like to start out our discussion with the following question. So PE firms have wanted to reduce their portfolio company holdings since the financial crisis began. Markets were unfavorable for a long time, as we all know, but now they've turned around a bit. And recent EY research shows, for example, that PE-backed IPOs had a record year in 2013. They raised more than $58 billion, or double the amount that was raised in 2012. All told, there were 187 PE-backed IPOs last year compared with 110 in 2012. This year also looks strong so far, at least the first couple of months of 2014. So uh, I'd like to ask you both to please comment on the outlook for the balance of 2014 and also uh, for the next couple of years. Mike, maybe we'll start with you. Okay. Thank you very much, Steve. Well, first of all, I think that uh, your the results that you pointed out really speak to a strong year that was held last year in terms of IPOs. And the activities continued into the first quarter. In fact, March proceeds are up 143% against last year, and volumes up 46% against last year. So it's it's moved into the first quarter here clearly as well. Markets, as you know, uh, like, uh, like stocks to be rising for IPO market uh, health, and also they like low volatility. And we've generally had that up until uh, a little bit of volatility around, uh, you know, after the first of the year here. But generally, it's been uh, a smooth upward curve. And in those kind of markets, that's going to attract a lot of volume for private equity to uh, to issue IPOs. In fact, given the huge backlog of, of uh, entities that they have to exit, and uh, our, our research shows that the on average, our, our portfolio holds have moved out from three and a half years to over five years now. There's a lot of companies in the queue for, for exit, and the IPO markets are holding up very, very strongly. So we expect that that, that will uh, this window to last throughout 14, and we would expect the valuations to remain pretty healthy. Steve, what's your view? I think as long as the capital markets and the overall market remains healthy, there will be demand for IPOs. Uh, The 2013 data is all the more impressive when you factor in that the Chinese IPO market was shut down. So that was not contributing to the numbers. Uh, The government basically wanted to give the IPO market a breather. It's now reopened, and there are, uh, I believe, some 700-plus companies uh, uh, in the queue for IPO, which is just an unfathomable number of, of new offerings. Uh, I suspect that um, uh, there's there's a couple of other drivers here that don't get discussed that often, and that is that uh, 
Uh, many of the underwriters are expecting that the private equity funds or the venture capital funds will participate in the IPO. This is somewhat unprecedented, and it's adding um, a lot of strength to the offerings, a lot of confidence to the public buyers and even uh, even institutional buyers uh, to know that the investors are, are actually still in for the long haul. Uh, uh, it raises the question as to how much liquidity for the private equity funds these IPOs truly represent. Uh, but nevertheless, it is a way of bringing cash into the companies to fuel their growth. Uh, and that is very positive. Uh, uh, and I suspect, I suspect things will continue for at least another quarter. I think we've seen a number of our funds that we work with that have had successful IPOs. They've they've issued a small tranche, if you will, of their own you know, private ownership, and then they've played in the secondary market 6, 12, 24 months afterwards after they've allowed the stock to, to run up a little bit. So it's been great support. They haven't just dumped it all in the marketplace, and it, it sets a nice track record for others to follow. Uh, that's right. And I, I think in terms of building confidence, uh, as I had said, um, among the buyers of these issues, uh, that that really speaks volumes. Uh, there was a long tradition of of PE and VC firms bailing out as soon as they could after an IPO, and uh, that that game seems to be over, and it is adding to the integrity and strength of the markets going forward. So they spent more time with these companies. They invested more time. They were more engaged. They probably helped run them in a more intimate way so they see the value more, perhaps. Uh, I think that's, that's a fair interpretation uh, that uh, the company, the, the firms, the private equity firms, uh, have more confidence in their own portfolios. Uh, but th this is also driven by necessity. Um, it's, it's what the underwriters are looking for. Uh, and uh, in many cases, the the floats uh, post-IPO are, are not sufficient enough to, to sell off the positions wholesale, so they do have to take a couple of years thereafter. And in many instances, the lockup periods, and if when we're talking about emerging markets, the lockup periods are far longer than the six months that we're accustomed to in the United States. Uh, so this, this uh, basically requires continued involvement by the private equity firms. I think it's worth adding, too, just on a geographic basic, Steve, you mentioned the China market being shut down essentially for the last year or so and just starting to, to get reopened. In the, uh, in the European markets, the U.K. market has been very, very strong. And I, I was in London from 2009 to 2012, where essentially you could almost call it a shutdown. There were about six deals mm -hmm. done in one year, I believe, there, something very, very small. Uh, those markets are coming back now, too, which adds to the global health of the IPO market, I believe, as well. I agree with that very much so. All right. Let's let's move on to talk about EMEA, or Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, that region has had an especially strong IPO performance recently, as you were just alluding to, to some degree. Overall deals jumped from just six IPOs raising $2.3 billion in 2012 to 35 IPOs raising nearly $18 billion uh, last year, 2013. The early part of 2014 has also looked strong, 25% uh, rise in January and February over 2012. So uh, what are the dynamics behind this rapid growth rate? Again, uh, the window of time when I was in London, 09 to, to 12, 
it was you woke up every day to the paper wondering during part of that period if the euro was going to collapse and that was a lot of the discussion was what do we, how do we unwind this how do we let greece out of the the uh, uh, the eurozone without a, a major catastrophe all that talk has now completely gone away of course and that the market's just sort of soothed itself over the you know last 24 months uh, but what they're left with now in the aftermath as you know the central bank stepped up and sort of put the cushion underneath it what they're left with i believe is a is a slow growth economy for some period of time i mean you can circle in the number of years that you think that this is going to be a challenge but a lot of the folks there talking about worried about deflation as opposed to inflation. And and I think what that's at least done, though, uh, is it's allowed some of these austerity programs have taken place. They've gotten initialized. Um, you know, Greece seems to have, you know, sort of stopped, you know, hitting worst-case scenarios. They at least uh, are stabilizing a bit. So the, the discussions moved from a crisis economy into more of a stabilized, and that's it's begin to, you know, kind of come up from the bottom here. And as a result of that, you had a, almost essentially a dead IPO market uh, in, in uh, 2011, 2012, and now even a small number, uh, which seems like in, in, in historical numbers, even a small growth uh, on a percentage basis looks big. But it is speaking to the fact that people are getting more confident there. I think there was just some, uh, some recent data released about the confidence improving in the U.K., and, uh, you know, so some of the programs that they've instituted, they're starting to pay off. So, I mean, we really see it as, um, you know, having stabilized and now beginning to uh, uh, tick upward, which is good for the developed markets to have a stable uh, U.S. market and a stable U.K. and, and EMEA market. I, I, yeah, it is very encouraging to see what's going on in, in Europe, how that carries over to the uh, fuller economy remains to be seen. Uh, but what it does suggest is that there is a, a pent-up demand uh, for these offerings and perhaps some underlying confidence in where things are going. The interesting story with IPOs uh, is still is also in the Middle East and Africa. And uh, I think that's worth parsing out uh, a little bit. Uh, the, the Middle East in particular has growing strength and integrity of its exchanges. So the Dubai exchange... Uh, for example, is becoming a venue for for listing. Uh, there's multiple listing between uh, Dubai and and AIM or others, uh, or even uh, NYSE. Uh, so that is that the 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 MENA region is taking on, or the GCC region is is taking on a life uh, of its own as far as the capital markets are concerned, and that that probably will continue. Uh, uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, in Africa, yes, there has been uh, an increase in IPOs, uh, but I don't think that's really the name of the exit game or the liquidity game uh, yet. We'll probably address M&A later in the discussion. Uh, but the I think the driver behind PE in Africa uh, is not going to be so much IPO exit as uh, the possibility of trade sales or private sales. Uh, of of companies, uh, and uh, that probably will characterize how that market works for 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 some time to come. Uh, and the reason is uh, many of these companies that are being funded by PE firms become very attractive entry points uh, for 
uh, multinationals and and other companies uh, to bridge their way into the African market. So uh, probably there's going to be as much price competitiveness for uh, acquisitions as there would be value in, in an IPO. And, you know, we see many of our uh, client funds moving into Africa to follow up on this trend. There's opportunities there to provide growth capital in many of these markets. So uh, I agree with Steve that the IPO market is still fledgling there. But I think that there will be other ways of exiting. And we just released our most current Africa exit study that uh, speaks to that in great volume. But it, it talks about how uh, many of the sales go to other trade players or private equity funds as they graduate up uh, the sophistication curve and size curve as they grow their businesses. I want to talk about fundraising here now. In 2013, shaped up as the best fundraising year since 2008. Proceeds rose 17% over the previous year to about $400 billion. In the latest EY Private Equity Capital Confidence Barometer, Two-thirds of general partners contacted said they're optimistic about the fundraising environment, which was up from just 41% a year ago. So that's that's a big move. Um, Mike, perhaps you could comment on this development because it was your folks that did the study. <laughs> well, we are seeing a lot, you know, a greater interest in fundraising this year. Uh, it was, um, as you mentioned, up 17%. Uh, over 2012. But the first quarter of 14 was a little flattish. So I think we may have seen a little bit of the spurt and maybe it calmed down a little bit. Um, the interesting trend, I think, here is that that, that number that you quoted that in our study uh, represented uh, a, number of, a smaller number of funds actually raising more money, which I think is the critical issue here. And that um, I think everybody's sort of heard about this concept of uh, – I think people anticipated that actually there'd be some consolidation in some of these funds that uh, sort of the mid-cap, mid-size funds might ultimately merge with other funds uh, just because of the, the constraints and challenges around fundraising. But we haven't really seen that. What's re- really happened is the LPs are making selective decisions and in putting more capital – with the bigger funds. And so we're seeing sort of a, a transition in the industry, if you will, uh, from from some of the smaller or middle market funds that, uh, frankly, are some of them are opting not to go forward. They are going to manage out of their expectations, out of, their, uh, out of the investments that they've made already, and they've decided and publicly announced, we're not raising another fund. What's that, what's that done is actually driven more money into the hands of the biggest players. So you're seeing uh, many more built multi-billion dollar uh, facilities, maybe not the hitting the peak record that we hit you know, in 06, 07, 08, when we had some very, very large funds put together, but we are seeing uh, more money flowing towards bigger funds. I think one of the phenomenons there is that, and I've heard this from a lot of the LPs directly, they are looking for one, just you know, sort of make their life simpler to have fewer places that they have to monitor and, and sort of govern funds so they, they collect that money with, with one group. Uh, and oftentimes it helps them in terms of if they, if they were using money and had money set aside for, say, distressed debt, and then they also were putting money into private equity and they're putting money into some form of an, an energy sector or, a, or an emerging markets fund. What they'll do now is not unlike an individual might, they'll consolidate those funds with one player who has all those capabilities in shop. Uh, also, 
trying to see if they can get any fee breaks along the way. So it's just a, it's a consistent trend sort of we're seeing uh, some bigger funds. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, that'll probably uh, continue along the way. But the market's been relatively healthy for fundraising, I'd say. Uh, very, very much so, uh, at least uh, since the last five or six years. Uh, we are seeing this haves and have-nots phenomenon, as, uh, as you've just pointed out. Uh, and I think there's a lot of things going on there. Um, one of the, uh, while it is in the study that ENY uh, uh, has done, there's another factor in this, and that is more and more of the LPs want to do direct investing. Uh, and if you start to factor in, this is not measured in billions of dollars, but if you start to factor in uh, uh, that trend, you see that maybe even more money is flowing into this asset class uh, or, uh, or things you can attribute to this asset class than there have been before. And that may be actually another reason for wanting to consolidate the investment in f f uh, f uh, different funds. Uh, Michael uh, mentioned that uh, there may be looking for fee breaks, and I definitely agree with that. That is a very important theme uh, in this asset class. Uh, but many limited partners are now seeking to extract other investment rights as well. For example, a co-investment right, uh, where, wherein uh, on a selective basis, they can take a piece of, of the offering uh, on a direct basis. Uh, basis and uh, having a, a uh, more potent uh, a relationship with a smaller number of funds uh, abets that process or that, that preference. So that, that is definitely a, a factor, uh, uh, I, I, I think, uh, going on in, in all of this. Um, among the other impacts of the uh, amount of money going into a smaller number of funds, and in the EY data, actually, that was quite pronounced. Uh, the money flowed into some 600 or so uh, funds, which was 100 or more below previous years. Uh, I don't remember the numbers specifically. Uh, but that, that um, a, a, a smaller number of larger funds has some pretty significant implications going forward as to what the investment strategies of these funds are going to have to be. If the middle market gets crowded out or diminished, uh, it's going to mean that for the, the relatively few large cap opportunities, there's going to be more and more competition. And uh, that uh, the valuations of these uh, uh, prospects are inevitably going to increase. Uh, and that that isn't necessarily a good thing um, o over time. So, that, you know, this is a phenomenon we have to keep our eyes on, uh, I think, quite closely. I don't know how you feel about that, Michael. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd add back to your comment and emphasize your, your thought about the LPs uh, in the process there. I'd almost call it an era of LP rights because they are uh, asking for the co-invest. Uh, they are asking for fee breaks. They're, they're getting a little less comfortable with the with the traditional fee structure of the industry and sort of starting to question as returns have come down. When returns were in the mid-30s, you, you kind of didn't man, mind paying your management fee uh, because you were, uh, you were extracting some nice value uh, from these transactions. As returns have sort of moderated into the low 20s or even high teens, 
uh, for, for many of the funds, it becomes a little stickier in terms of, you know, having a desire to pay that high of a, of a management fee. So there's there are some issues around that. Uh, the co-investing is cr- certainly a big issue, as well as uh, we see a lot of these funds. We think a current trend is a lot of these funds starting to hire professionals in the PE industry and looking to just go direct. Uh, and we're seeing more and more emphasis and requests for services from those types of entities that are looking to go make their own direct investments. Uh, and so I think that is a trend we have to look for. Uh, I think the other maybe last thing uh, I'd add around this is on the allocation side. We do see many of the pension funds uh, you know, allocating more towards private equity or alternatives, I guess you could say. And that's fine. More and more money is finding its way into uh, private equity um, uh, coffers, if you will, to go spend because uh, everybody knows that they uh, these funds have obligations to meet. Uh, many of these obligations have been set in time for years and years. And given the y- low-yielding bond yields right now in today's world, uh, they've got to seek some return. And so I think most prudent investment uh, management companies have looked at that, or pension companies have looked at that and said, you know, look, we have to find some yield here. And so they're looking for some alternatives to do so. So there is a little bit of a a breeze at the back of of fundraising right now for most of the uh, funds. That's an extremely important point. And I was going to bring up uh, uh, maybe the flip side of that. Uh, And that is... Uh, with the financial crisis, especially in the wake of, of such a dramatic uptick in private equity in 2006, 7, and 8, uh, what happened uh, literally overnight was that the portfolio allocations of the financial institutions got way out of balance because tip- typically the boards of these funds will set a target of 5, 10, 15 percent of assets to be allocated to private equity. And that's fixed. That takes a long time to, uh, 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 to distribute. Uh, when there is a huge downdraft in the value of, of equities, uh, suddenly firms found themselves managing nominally half the assets they had. Uh, and basically their allocation to private equity or all their alternates was double what it's supposed to be. Now that's coming back into balance with the, with the improvement of the public markets. And that is, I think, one of the tailwind factors that, that, that Michael referred to. Listeners can access past podcasts plus additional insights into private equity at our private equity website. And the address is kw.wharton.upenn.edu slash private hyphen equity. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.